Welcome back to the Matt Pfeiffer Experience. I am your host, Matthew Pfeiffer, and thank you guys for joining in live, whether you're joining in live. And I, I don't take it for granted that you guys are here with me and here with, uh, with uh, Chris Thompson as well, but logging in every Wednesday evening and taking full advantage of self-development and taking, your, taking uh, your personal growth serious. And so I appreciate you all being here. So today I have on a very special guest. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. Uh, with with him, he is not only a uh, a full time creator and an influencer on social media, but at this point, he is someone that I consider a friend that we stay in touch, and I think that it is great. And you guys always you always hear me talking about how iron sharpens iron, how it's always important to to make sure that you have people that are in your circle that are keeping you sharp and keeping you accountable. And he is that for myself, and so I appreciate him so much. So let's welcome. Sup Daily, Chris. Hello. Thompson, thank you very much for hopping in. Thank you very much for being a part. We appreciate your time. And so, tell us a little bit about you, and tell us uh, tell us where you're at. Um, I'm Chris, or Sup Daily on social media. I live in Denver, Colorado, um, where I have found an immense amount of peace. Um, yeah, I've been I've been content creation for 15 years. Um, name the platform. I've tr- except for Vine. I couldn't do Vine. It was six seconds wasn't wasn't enough for me. Um, and that's what she said. Uh, yeah, it is indeed what she said. Um, I like to take my time, um, so that's why you know sixty seconds is good on right. TikTok. Uh-huh. Um, built a built a, a social media following on TikTok, which has brought me in a lot of wonderful people. And now um, I'm focusing on developing my own podcast, Unfiltered Friends, which you were on, which is actually yep. one of my higher performing episodes. Um, yeah, I don't think I told you that. Yeah, people oh, really yeah, liked right. that episode. So That's just awesome. kind of trying to find my 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 happiness and uh, and uh, do, doing my best. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, um, not as a creator, but just as someone who takes content in as well. What's your favorite? What's your favorite platform to, to be on? Hmm, that's really difficult because they're all so different. I would say the place that I feel the safest to be exactly who I am is my own personal discord. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. It's it's not it's not it's the people who are there click the link, join. It was very intentional. Mm-hmm. So and you're not exposed. It's a private thing. So it's a place for us to really get to know each other and talk mm-hmm. more. And I I really enjoy that lack of access to the outside world so we can it's only people who truly understand each other. Yeah, people who are kind of like more of your inner circle. I feel the same way with some of my groups, some of my Facebook groups. Even though I'm looking, I'm tinkering with starting a Discord, but my Discord would be more for people who are up-and-coming creators. That's that's my next venture is to start helping people develop their personal brand and get to where we're at and kind of give back there as well. So, But 15 years, you know, I've been doing it for a couple of years. I've been doing it since probably 2016 and i know there's been so many changes since i got started but 15 years what was your first platform that you that you got on myspace was my first time building an audience um i didn't do it i did it because i needed attention um i had like a program that would um send friend requests to people within like a certain demographic that i would put into that program 
But my first, I would say, platform where I was a creator was YouTube. Back, mm -hmm. I think YouTube was about six months old when I signed up for it. So back in 2006, I didn't sign up to become a creator. I thought yeah. it was a place to privately store videos so that you could embed it somewhere else, like my MySpace page. Uh -huh. And uh, so I had a video that was 11 seconds of me and my dad doing Dance Dance Revolution. Uh -huh. And I posted I it. And then I started getting all these comments and I, I thought, how, where are these people coming from? And then I saw it was this whole group of people who are creative and um, I dove in and 15 years later, here I am still doing it. Yeah, it was absolutely. an a beautiful accident. Uh -huh. And what, what, what are some, what were some of your highlights in terms of your creation over the 15 years? What are some memories that you absolutely love uh, about being a content creator? Uh, just a lot of the friendships that I, I made along the way with other creators like yourself. Um, like my friend Joe, I uh, met him through the platform, ended up being the best man at his wedding. Um, him and I also got invited by Google to do a zero gravity flight. So I got to oh, nice. train how astronauts train. Mm -hmm. um, it's just been, I don't know, one opportunity after another. And even if the uh, maybe the platform wasn't doing as well or I wasn't doing as well, it's so easy not easy, but it, you can pivot and you can mm -hmm. evolve. And uh, I find different sorts of pleasure on every platform that I've been on, but ultimately it's the relationships I made along the way. Yeah, that's uh, that's me too. That I love the fact that you can pivot. That's, I think I've pivoted probably four times since I've, you know, been on TikTok and uh, the, you know, cause I, that is probably my favorite part about being a content creator is that you can just change your mind and, launch something brand new and just you have a whole new career for another 30 days and then you find something else different mm -hmm. and you, you, you go with that so what about low lights what are some things that you don't really care for um one of my favorite things is that it, the internet gives everyone a voice and one of my least favorite things is that the internet gives everyone a voice yeah um people who uh, haven't really worked on themselves or are going through a really tough time um, and maybe don't possess the tools to deal with it internally, tend to project it onto other people. Yeah. So watching people attack other people over the, I mean, I'll use a small example. I, I made a video where I was thanking my mother around Mother's Day for all of the wonderful things that she provided for me. And I got attacked by a handful of people because they didn't, they don't have a relationship with their mother. And yeah. I was being insensitive to them, even though I didn't know they existed. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's, it's a little rough with that. And you have to have very thick skin because people yeah. are real bold behind that keyboard. They really are. And uh, you know, I, uh, I've been attacked as well. And I had, um, it, what was interesting is that uh, a group who attacked me tried to attack my daughter and then found somebody else that they thought was my daughter and ended up harassing her for, I think, close to a month. Wow. And, uh, and it was it was somebody that wasn't I was had no relation to. They just assumed that it was and found the wrong person. Uh, on one hand, I'm glad that they didn't find my daughter. On the other hand, it's like you harassed an innocent person for a month for no reason. Um, and so it, the inner, you know, and that's one thing that I try to talk to people about people glorify being a content creator. And on one hand, I'll, I would never change that. And at the other, it's like, 
people have to be really careful about what they ask for and they have to understand that they're that not everyone who follows you is going to love you not everyone who interacts with your content is going to love you either okay question as someone with a mental health background Mm -hmm. here's my conspiracy theory about hate watchers because you do like i know i have people who follow me specifically to to hate me um they're very vocal about it uh one of the theories i heard is that possibly why somebody would do that is because they come from a turbulent household Mm -hmm. and they're recreating that dynamic with you because it's what they're comfortable with uh not only that i'll take that one step further oh uh, because it uh so people who are trolls uh are highly 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 likely to be on the cluster b spectrum whether it be narcissism sociopath it's highly likely that they're uh, not not 100%, but it makes it, um, it is those sorts of traits that that cause that, but they come from those type of backgrounds and those type of homes. So there is a yeah. lot of truth to that. I feel, I feel for them is the thing. Like, even if they're being mean to me, I just look at them and I was like, because someone who's happy isn't going to go out of their way to be cruel to somebody nope. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as much as it's just like, ouch, that they're saying it to me, my empathy kicks in at that point mm-hmm. in time. But that is a post-therapy thing. When I, yeah. Before I had learned the tools that I have now, it was very, very personal, where in reality, a lot of it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with how they feel internally or what they're yeah. going through in that moment. I'm just like, oh, I hope that you figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then I still block them, but yeah. I wish them the best on the way out. You know, <laughs> Something, uh, so I had uh, Dr. Andrew Blackwood on here. He's a psychologist in Toronto. And one of the things he said, is that people don't treat you based on what you deserve or who or based on who you are people treat you how based on who they are as a person so exactly how you said like if people are are mistreating you or calling you names trolling you that says everything you need to know about that person and it and oftentimes we internalize things because we we think that it's all about us all the time but it's it's not it's oftentimes because of who they are and how they feel about themselves it's hard not to take it personally though because it feels personal um yeah it's i've been doing it 15 years i still get taken down man you we've had talks about it where i was like bro i don't know what is going on and why are people being like this and i guess it's it's you know you're learning i don't know i hope i just i wish peace for those people ultimately what are some things that you would some guidance that you would give to somebody who might be going through that on a smaller level, let's say. I don't like, I don't like want to say a smaller level, but I think a lot of people who, who would look at us would say, like, well, you have a large following, and so you wouldn't understand what I'm going through with my coworkers, you know, uh, in my sales department. But, you know, and and I, I I've been there where that can be a lot more difficult because it's work related or because you're in the same sales department and you know, and you have to actually see the person. I mean, as, as difficult as it, as it is with people behind a keyboard, it can also be very difficult when, you, when you're working with someone or as a family member or someone in your neighborhood or, or whatever. What advice would you give to someone that might be struggling with, with some unhealthy people that are, that are coming in their life and, and making things difficult? Hmm. It really is pretty much the same advice, whether it's in person or online. It's just like there's maybe a bit more in person. But the first the first step, I would say, is know yourself. That's the most important Mm -hmm. thing. If you know who you are and what you're about, 
then a lot of the things that other people have to say aren't really important. Like no yeah. things that you struggle with. Like the reason some of the things that I get upset about, I do get upset about is because it's a struggle that I have internally and yeah. they're, they're touching a wound. So mm. focus on yourself when it comes to that. So you know yourself, know your boundaries, you mm. know, be like, I don't tell people to change anymore. I think people mistake demands and boundaries quite often. Mm -hmm. A boundary is just you, you come to this point mm -hmm. and if you cross that, you lose access to me. That's it. It's not, it doesn't have to be a combative thing. So have boundaries with people and then communication, you know, be like, uh, if it's in person, you know, maybe you have an HR person, but maybe try just talk to that person. Maybe you're interpreting the what they're doing uh, not accurately to how they feel about it. Um, but ultimately, know yourself, know your boundaries, and communicate. And then if they don't change after you've communicated that boundary, then remove access as much as you can. You know, it might be harder in the workplace, but you don't have to be homies at the workplace. You know? No, you don't mm -hmm. have to be homies anywhere. Nowhere. Yeah. No. What about, uh, you know, we, before we hopped on, we were talking a lot about personal growth. And so when people are kind of going through this, uh, you know, and, and people talk oftentimes about therapy and people talk about self-help and development and they get coaching. And oftentimes that begins to open your eyes to different dynamics of the people that are actually in your circle. And you begin to uh to outgrow people and you begin to kind of see different, see people in a different light. Can you talk a little bit more about outgrowing people that maybe people that may have been in your circle for a long period of time? Yeah. I mean, this is something that my therapist talked to me about when I first started doing, uh, I jumped straight into EMDR therapy, which now mm. that I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, I realized that I jumped into the deep end <laughs> for my yeah. first therapy journey. But you know, that's my personality. I just want to deal with it. And I'm the rip, rip the bandage off fast type person. Um, he told me he was because my uh, my social media was a lot based around advocacy and talking about tough stuff and also kind of calling people out on stuff. And he's like, you're going to have to find new motivation because a lot of the reasons that I was attracted to that is because I didn't have advocates growing up. Mm -hmm. I was bullied relentlessly. I was made fun of relentlessly. And I wanted to make sure that nobody else had, not nobody else, but if I had the capacity to jump in and be a part of that conversation. Right. And so when I got on TikTok, I did a lot of that, especially I took the easy route too. Like I knew I could call someone out for being misogynist and I was going to get praise from my mostly female audience you know mm -hmm. and while some people deserve to get called out it doesn't actually create any sort of change which is my ultimate yeah. purpose mm -hmm. all it all it does is it creates this dynamic that um it, it just spurs toxicity and nobody mm -hmm. learns and nobody grows and nobody's listening to each other and so now that i've i've kind of gone beyond a lot of the anger that I was harboring within myself mm -hmm. and looking at looking at what exactly it is that I'm doing. I, I took a step back and I was like, man, I don't really like this environment anymore. Right. Um, it's not what I want to be anymore. And that's on me. Um, I created an audience that's into that. I, cr I created a, a friend group of different creators on that who make that type of content. So I found myself getting like perpetually 
triggered by the environment that I created myself. You know, uh, I, I think uh, it, this is something that we were talking about this uh, beforehand, but something that I didn't really talk to you about necessarily was uh, I've talked to other creators who feel very similar. And, and I, I've shared with you that I felt very similar about talking a lot about narcissism, even though I still talk about it. I transitioned more over to talking more about the healing and talking about codependency and other areas of toxicity. But there's a lot of there's a lot of creators that uh, I, I was talking to one who said that I feel like like I've created a monster that I started to talk about a certain subject to bring awareness to it. And it needed to be brought there needed to be attention brought to it. But then all of a sudden it launched all these other people that and, and it just started to get out of hand. Do you feel like that's the that's the case in a lot of situations that maybe things have just really gotten out of hand in certain certain niches on TikTok or niches on on um, other social media platforms? I mean, I think TikTok does what every other platform does and it 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 prioritizes engagement and what produces the most engagement but drama. Mm-hmm. TikTok also understands the little the the little dopamine fiends that we have out there that are looking for even just a sliver of popularity and they gave it to so many people. You used mm-hmm. to have to work really hard to go viral and now there's a possibility every time you upload something on TikTok. And it's not to mm-hmm. say that all the content is not worthy of it, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of it that's not. And so what happens is, is they see that I'm going to make this content that's going to be disparaging in some way, shape or form, and people are going to get mad or they're going to be happy with what I said. It's going to create engagement and you're going to build popularity. And then you're not chasing purpose. You're chasing popularity. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. It's like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I, I, it's like, you don't really care necessarily the impact of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You care that it's going to get shared a lot and you're going to get a lot of attention for it. Yeah. And it's created, it's created a really unfortunately toxic environment, and um, it's really hard to avoid. Man, I clear my cache, I I unfollow people, I hit not interested, and I find myself back into that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's become not as like pandemic TikTok was so silly and it fun, was so fun, yeah. It is not that platform anymore. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think the platform is to blame for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you recently took a break from you, you recently took a break from TikTok. Uh, what were some things that you felt internally that said like you know what I need to I need to set this down or I need to walk away or what what was that thought process like? I just felt <laughs> I didn't feel good when mm-hmm. I when I was scrolling. It was, it was also a little bit of a time suck. It's really easy to just get into like the scroll monster and then like two hours later, you're still scrolling. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, like because I made a lot of content surrounding misogyny and um, advocating for women, um, I think there uh, there needed to be a correction in the way that women were being treated societally. Mm-hmm. Like, And I think that's a beautiful thing. I've advocated for that for a long time, but I'm watching it kind of go really far far in the other direction where I'm watching women become really abusive mm-hmm. and I would, and I'm somebody, you know, maybe they don't know that they're being abusive. Maybe they don't feel. So I'm going to share because I'm one of their peers that their words are affecting me negatively. And I just found that they just didn't care. Yeah. Um, and so 
that kind of showed me like no matter all the advocacy that I did, you know, and I'm somebody like one of the guys they talk about, go to therapy, emotionally intelligent, use my platform to advocate when it didn't fit the narrative that they wanted. I was then just another dude. Yeah. And uh, it may, I was feeling just sad every time I uh, turned on the app. So I took a step back and I don't know when I'll be back, but mm -hmm. for right now I need to figure out my own focus mm -hmm. so that these people kind of like, I can't stop them from acting that way. That's their prerogative, you know, go off. If you think that it's the pro appropriate way to act, uh, I'm just going to move on and focus on places that do make me happy. Absolutely. I, I think that one, one of the things that happened on TikTok that didn't happen pre TikTok is that a lot of people that really shouldn't be going viral, it's like they're enabling the wrong people uh, rather than giving voice to people that really deserve it, that really have built it up the way that it has on other social media platforms. You can get on there and say the most horrendous thing and next thing you know, in three months, you're a superstar and you have you know, millions and millions of followers and, uh, and you see that all over and and then it encourages other people to do the same thing and, and, it, and it enables bad behavior. And it, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it ends up, you know, removing people like yourself from the platform altogether. Yeah, they, they don't care. The platforms don't, the platforms care about the platforms. Yeah. That's why I always encourage creators have somewhere for people to go where you control the algorithm because these platforms will never care about you they will care you will be popular for a minute the algorithm shifts away and then you spend all of your time just chasing what someone else wants instead of chasing what it is that fulfills you right. and i got tired of that game one of the things i tell people i i, I mentioned before that i coach people I coach other coaches and creators and one of the things i tell them is don't forget your why because it is so easy to start. You do one video and you're like, oh, this one is performing. So I'm going to try to continue to do videos like this. And before you know it, it's been like three months and you haven't done what you originally got onto the platform to do to begin with. And I think that's that's something that you dealt with. That's something I know I dealt with at one point in time. So I was the same way that you were talking about in terms of creating a lot of videos about uh, misogyny, I was doing the same thing about narcissism. And then it got to a point I was like, you know what, I got on here for people who have experienced this to heal. Yes, I need to bring awareness to it, but I don't need to do it every single time. I need to talk about some other dynamics of uh, like attachment, attachment issues and anxious attachment styles and uh, avoid attachment styles and really teach people how to live a much more healthier, productive life. But it is very easy to slip into slip to slide down that road and and start to head down a direction that you really just don't want to go down that platform is horrible with the use of those terms like yeah. narcissist and gaslighting they don't those words don't mean anything anymore because this is like if someone doesn't say something that you like they're gaslighting you or it's like this is a legitimate form of manipulation and abuse and you are just frivolously throwing it around because it validates you and it's just mm -hmm. like I saw that and you know you some there's going to be some places that are great for that sort of thing and I just don't think that TikTok is that is that place. It's not a very emotionally intelligent uh platform from my experience. I'm not saying there isn't like there's so many different facets of TikTok right. but like what I was seeing was was uh, was no bueno. Yeah, absolutely.
when uh, when it comes to uh, let's transition a bit. Uh, do you feel like because uh, I kind of feel like you're like an internet guru? Do you feel like you still see the same type of thing on other platforms like dating apps and things of that nature? Do you see some of that crossover where with the explosion of something like TikTok or the explosion mm. of other social media apps? Do you see that carrying over into the dating scene or to the dating apps or uh, how people approach other people in real life? 100%. I mean, I feel like social media is a microcosm of what society feels in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of like a TikTok trend that will go off and then all of a sudden like 18 girls have it as their the same phrase as their bio uh, yeah. on their on their profile. It's kind of like lacking originality. I think what I'm running into, and I don't have apps anymore for this reason. Um, it's a lot of entitlement, um, a lot of like, you know, what can you provide for me? Yeah. And that's not the dynamic I want in a relationship. You're entitled to that if that's what you want, but I want a partnership. Yeah. So if you don't think that I'm just as valuable as you are to this equation, then that's not something I'll, I'm interested in engaging in. And when it comes to like dating apps, it's so easy to just, you know, I've seen uh, because as men, we don't have quite as many options because majority mm -hmm. of the users on the I mean, if you date women, majority of the users are men. Mm -hmm. So uh I've, it's so easy for someone to just say, well, you, you're not matching this checklist. Red flag has been thrown on way, 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 way too much. Like I was finding that I wasn't engaging with people or talking to people who saw me as a person. Mm -hmm. They saw me as a checklist. They saw me as a list of red flags. And if it, even one of those things wasn't right, it was really easy for them to swipe on. Yeah. And it, it doesn't take any investment. So I was just like, well, this isn't the spot for me. So. I'm, uh, I'm I'm laughing a little bit because uh, I did a live and uh, you've you've hopped in my lives before, so you know I do mostly like teaching about relationships and stuff. And it went silent one time when I told people that everyone has red flags, and I said you do too. And everyone was like, you know, almost like I caught them. Like everyone kind of knows internally that you have red flags. And then I and I continued that people don't understand that red flags actually should be investigated. They're not always deal breakers. That yeah. it's like, it, you know, so for example, someone who has gone through a divorce, it might, you know, it might be a red flag, but divorces are very common. It doesn't mean that uh, that that person is not dateable or anything like that. But it's definitely something that you're going to want to know a lot more about and to see if that person is, number one, healed, if they mm -hmm. have accepted any responsibility for the things that have happened, if they've learned from any mistakes, that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and so those red flags can possibly turn to yellow or green flags, depending on, on how you get to know that person. But you're, you're right. People see and they think about red flags as like it's either all or nothing. Everything is just all of a sudden just very, very black and white. Which is something I tack tackled in cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. as a, a, a cognitive dissonance. Yep. Black and white thinking, uh, catastrophizing, like this is very extreme and I don't, when I see it, I used to get frustrated by it, but yeah. now I just look back and go, this is where that person is. Mm -hmm. But I think the danger with social media connecting with this stuff is you can insulate yourself inside that one idea and get it validated over and over again, even if it's a toxic thing. So of course, yeah. 
when you meet someone who thinks differently or outside of that, it feels personal, like an attack, because it's new information you're not used to listening to. So people don't know that people don't know the difference between disagreements and disrespect. Yes. People think that disagreements are as soon as you have a different opinion, different view of someone, people just automatically think that that's disrespectful. and It's it's not. And uh, one of the things about disagreements is that that it actually shows you that that person is being authentic. And that's Mm -hmm. the reason why disagreements should actually be welcomed in relationships. But then we have to actually begin to work towards communicating properly. And a lot of times people, when you start talking about communication, people, oh, I communicate really well. They, they might orotate very well, but they don't listen very well, not realizing that's a large part of communication as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's why I have, I've listened tattooed on my chest. It's a mm-hmm. lesson. But I, yeah, I, I think people don't understand that like that other person has to choose you too. Yeah. So even if it's just friendship, if it's business, if it's family, if it's romantic, like that person is a person with all sorts of experiences and struggles. And it's like, it's like they don't want to heal themselves, but expect the healed version of you. Mm-hmm. And that is an imbalance that I don't engage with yeah. anymore. Let's, uh, one of the things, I mean, this it's rare for a lot of people especially with uh, these days, there was a perception. I mean, you joked about it too, about um, men with mics. Um, and, and we, so we, so we both have, we both have a mic right now, but uh, I think a great majority of men who are talking about the dating scene and talking about uh, relationships on a podcast, aren't talking about it from a place of, of healing and, and have, who have gone through, uh, a process of their own and learn from their mistakes and that sort of thing. How, for you, how has dating and relationships changed now that you've gone to therapy, now that you've dealt with your trauma, now that you're on a healing journey? What, what's, what's different, if anything? <laughs> I barely date, man. I don't date. I barely have sex because I just like, because I value myself mm-hmm. a lot more now. I was a hoe. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, Flow show. I mm-hmm. went through that phase for a long time because I would validate my insecurities within myself mm-hmm. with the most attractive woman that I could find. And then I would feel empty at the end of it every single time. But I could not stop that cycle. Yeah. So when I went to therapy and my the first session, he's like, your negative core belief is that you feel you're worthless. And I was like, oh, <laughs> ouch. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's work on that. And so now that I value myself. It's also causing me to value other people a lot more. Um, I don't, I, I don't, in, I don't look at someone who is not in the same place as me or not as kind as I would like them to be as a challenge. I look at it as someone who I shouldn't date mm-hmm. um, because I, I have a better idea of who I am now. So mm-hmm. it kill, it kills your sex life and your <laughs> and your dating life. But the when when you do encounter someone who's worth it, um, the feeling is just so much better, mm-hmm. so much relieving. I, I, you know, I, I was like you; I was a he whore, and so I. <laughs> I like also like himbo. Himbo. I haven't heard that one, but I'm gonna have to steal that one. But, uh, yeah, but it was. Uh, but it was interesting once I went through my healing process that you started to see things that your perspective just shifts 
completely differently Mm -hmm. where people that you may have found very attractive pre-therapy and pre-healing you're like oh no thank you it's like you know nothing against you nothing and uh it, it you're right it does in a positive way, kill your sex, sex drive because you do value yourself. You, you value not, uh, not uh, one of the things that, that changed for me is that I don't, I don't feel comfortable just bringing random people to my home. Right. Where at, at one point in time, I was like, oh yeah, I've known you for 10 minutes. We've had a couple of shots. Let's go home. You know? And, and now I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, I barely know this person. And, uh, and not thinking about the, you know, you just start to think more long-term, the long-term effects, not only physically, but also the damage that happens to, that happens to you emotionally. And that's where things like, it's just not worth it. Uh, the, the last girl I was involved with before I went into therapy, she's actually part of the reason I decided to go to therapy because we were only involved for like two months, three mm-hmm. months in that range. Um, and then she got an opportunity and she was still kind of holding on to me while taking that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make logical sense why I was still so messed up over her. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in therapy and he identified the worthiness thing that I struggled with, and he was like, you, the reason that you were so hooked on her is because you were trying to basically prove your worth to her because you don't feel like you're worthy. Mm -hmm. So it was never really about her. And instantaneously my brain went huh and i let her go mm-hmm. and so that it really does show that a lot of times it really isn't about that person it's about what you have going on internally that's something that i, I talk to people i work with about and i've and that's really kind of what my content has shifted towards is showing people who struggle with that level of codependency and people pleasing that you're getting hung up. Everyone, that another term that that, and I talk about it because I I know that it's valid. But another term that gets tossed around a lot is trauma bond. Mm-hmm. People automatically assume that the person that you're trauma bonded with is a narcissist, not realizing that you can be trauma bonded to someone because you put them on a pedestal because of your lack of your lack of self esteem in yourself and. Uh, And it may not say anything about the other person. They may just have broken up with you or whatever the case is. Uh, But because, like you said, you're trying to show your your worth and you're trying to prove yourself to to yourself and to other people around you. And people just don't feel comfortable with Mm self-awareness. Explain to me what a trauma bond is so that I have a full understanding. So a trauma bond in the sense of narcissism would be a – because uh, there's different types. It's uh, an unhealthy attachment in the presence of danger, shame, or exploitation. But um, there's also trauma bonds between someone who has an anxious and an avoidant attachment style, mm-hmm. where you, because both people have an insecure attachment style, they are both trying to find fulfillment within each other. And so mm. it's still an, an unhealthy attachment. Um, it may not be in the presence of danger, shame, or exploitation, but you have one person that that leaves, and then you have that uh, that anxious person who uh, feels like they are they don't have any worth outside of that relationship. So they try to cling and they try to, but neither one of them realize that both people need to work on themselves. That both people need to to understand the deeper issues, the deeper core issues that are happening on the inside of them. What do you think about? I realize I'm 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 <laughs> I'm not interviewing you. I'm asking you questions. Um, what do you think about the concept that there are certain things 
uh, about being in a relationship that you can only heal within yourself within the context of a relationship. So you know, I, I'm a big believer in heal. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that's pretty much it. The uh, I, I'm a big believer that you can 100% heal in a relationship. You can heal in dating. It, you know, of, of course, there's a lot of nuance there because one of the things that happens, uh, and I, I talk a lot of my clients, I, I get on them, get on them about this. You can watch as many videos as you want. You can go to therapy. You can do read all the books. At some point in time, the rubber has to hit the road. Yeah. At some point in time, we actually have to begin executing. Uh, I remember when I when I got back into the dating scene, uh, I was a nervous freaking wreck. Uh, it, it was like you know, even though I knew all the terminology, I could tell you exactly what was happening. But because I hadn't actually talked to anyone for a long period of time, it was nerve wracking and it was weird just engaging with people. And so at some point in time, uh, and the same thing with relationships. So uh, one of the things I tell people is that you're always, always healing. Um, that you, in a relationship, you should always be working on yourself, always be trying to always strive to work on uh, better communication, better understanding your relationship, the person you're with. Uh, I, I tell people to approach relationships as an opportunity, as an opportunity for growth, as an opportunity to learn, and as an opportunity for education. And when you do that, it's more likely that you're going to thrive and that you're going to build a healthy relationship, not only for you, but for your partner too. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, what what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, in terms of healing within the confines of relationship? I haven't done it yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, I'm finding that a lot of the emotional labor is on me in the dating situation. A lot mm -hmm. of the effort is on me, and so trying to find, uh, trying to connect with someone who wants to carry that that load with me. Um, has been difficult. So I haven't really had an opportunity yet. Why is that? You know, I think there's the perception that as long as men heal themselves, as long as we, t as long as we do our job and heal our traumas, that we're going to be able to find a woman easy in terms of someone who is a good, healthy partner, that they're, that they are just rampant and they're just all around. I haven't found that to be true. No. And, and what, you know, what has been your uh, what has been your perspective? What has been your experience that once you healed, did you find that there are just as many healed women or what has been, what has that been like? You can only love someone as much as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you can only be loved when you understand how to love yourself because you're teaching the other person how to do that. Um, and what I'm finding is, um, there is a lot of demand for men to do work on themselves. And there are a lot of men who do, uh, need to work on them. It's just, it's a human thing. Um, but as someone who is emotionally available, has gone to therapy, communicates very directly and is vulnerable. I scare women who aren't in that place. Mm -hmm. I am terrifying. They'll even, some of them have even just been as honest, like, I am not prepared to be with someone like you because I think what people don't understand is in order to be with someone who is vulnerable and emotionally intelligent, you also have to be vulnerable and emotionally intelligent. I am not going to sit there bleeding heart arms open while you figure out whether I'm worth investing in or not. Yeah, That's just not going to work for me because of my emotional intelligence. I look at that and go, that's someone who's not ready. Yeah, And so that's been my experience is um it's the whole 
people call it like the nice guy thing. Like, oh, I'm not ready for a nice guy. My brain here is I'm not healed enough for a healthy relationship because yeah. healthy relationships are way harder than toxic ones in a lot 100%. of ways because yeah. toxic ones, you it's like a lot of the reasons that people stay in relationships for so long because they're waiting for something catastrophic to point to to validate them leaving like they don't have it it's like they're acting like they don't have choice and there are situations that are obviously on the outskirts that are that are different but a lot of times you're waiting for something to happen so that you can walk away because then you'll be safe um, but if that's not happening you're just like sitting in it and you're like i don't know what to do with this and it's uh it's been really interesting to watch if yeah. i'm it's a, you know, I, I, I always say that relationships are a responsibility and that's the part that people forget when you're in a toxic relationship, no one, no one knows who's responsible for what that's actually a large part of the problem because you, there's no boundaries. No one knows who started the fight. No one knows who ended it. And it just, it's just nothing but chaos, but in a healthy relationship. And that's been, well, your experience has been my experience that once I became, once I started therapy, once I started to work on myself. It was very difficult to find people that had also done the work, that were emotionally intelligent, that were good, healthy communicators, but also listened very well along with that that communication. That that was that was difficult, um, and 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 knowing that some people are not ready for the responsibility of a relationship, uh, and and so that's it's a whole nother ballgame. And I walk away from those people now mm -hmm. instead of investing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my Maybe life I can is change him. No. And mm -hmm. that's and that's on you for doing yeah. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I had a, a dating situation recently where I understood that she struggles with uh with being avoidant. And because I needed to feel more secure, I started to try and force conversations that she wasn't quite ready for. And that's on me for not accepting her as she was in that moment and trying to change her. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's part of what people don't understand is like, you are responsible for your actions and you are responsible for not accepting that person as they are in that moment. You would want someone to accept you, make sure you're extending that same kindness to them as well. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a lot of people are just basically saying, you know, everyone is waiting for everybody else to change. Everyone's pointing fingers at, you know, either the opposite sex or other people. And, well, I'll be ready when you get ready type. And then no one does anything. And then you have someone that you meet, someone that is ready. And you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, let, let me go get ready now. And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not waiting for you to go get ready. Dinner, our reservations were at 7. And it's now 710. I've waited long enough. So, yeah, I hear what's that phrase? In order for me to be in my feminine, he needs to be in his masculine. Oh, yeah. Don't even get me started on that. Yeah. And it's just like, so you're tell first of all, masculine doesn't mean male. Masculine mm -hmm. is an energy. Yeah. Feminine is an energy. And mm -hmm. I think uh divine people you know divine feminine divine masculine is a balance of both mm -hmm. so like so what you're telling me is in order for you in order for you to be who you want to be i have to be the version of me that you want me to be mm -hmm. so where does this leave me as an individual yeah. <laughs> like i that's not how this works mm -hmm. uh but some people will will step up to that and good luck to them i'm yeah. just i have been down that road 
way too many times. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that people always want someone who is open and honest until they need to be open and honest themselves. Then all of a sudden it's all, it's all out the window. So like I want a man who communicates and, and, and then I communicate to like, Oh no, that's not what I meant. Yeah, which which means that you have to listen and then no one wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, sup daily. Uh, I appreciate you hopping on. It has been amazing. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. Uh, we're going to definitely, definitely have to do this again. Um, Tell us a little bit more about where, where people can find you at, where they can find more information, especially now that you're kind of in, in transition with uh, some of your platforms. Uh, where can people stay in touch? Yeah, um, Instagram has all of my links in my bio. So Discord, if you want to join up, you know, subscribe to Unfiltered Friends, listen to the episode that I did with you about maintaining a healthy relationship. Um, yeah, sup daily everywhere, and I'm pretty easy to find. There's not a whole lot of me. <laughs> Well, we will. It sounds like we're going to see each other in a couple of weeks, and actually yeah. tw- twice within a handful of weeks because we're both we're going to be visiting each other. So yeah, we'll be in Dallas, and I'll be in Denver. So looking forward to it. Me too, man. All right. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, that was Sup Daily. Thank you guys very much for hopping on, and uh, make sure you guys give him a follow. Make sure you guys give him a like everywhere. And uh, until next week, you guys have an absolutely fantastic evening.